I'm your host, Madeline, and welcome to The Courageous Podcast, where you will hear inspirational stories of everyday people who will share how they found strength, hope, and faith in the midst of adversity. Let's get ready to be inspired. Today, I have Valerie Sanchez, who is a proud Puerto Rican, Christian wife and mother, born and raised in Chicago, and for the past 25 years has been living in New Jersey. She is the co-founder of Divine Asset Management, a woman-owned and focused financial services firm, where she serves her clients by guiding them to be their best financial self. She's also the vice president of a non for-profit called The Valentine House, where they provide transitional homes for individuals who have successfully completed treatment for substance abuse. When Val isn't helping women avoid financial mayhem, you can find her DIYing, cooking, dancing, volunteering, and hanging out with her family. That's amazing, Valerie. You sound way, way too, too busy. (laughs) (laughs) I want to welcome you, welcome you to the Courageous Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And that was a very kind introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when we recorded, you were like, I don't think this is 50 words. I'm like, that's okay, girl. I I was like, I think it's 74. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it sounds really good. I, we need to just do it. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you for accommodating me. (laughs) For sure. For sure. So I know that you moved from Chicago when you were still a teenager and when you first shared your story, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And we literally weren't even having a conversation about potentially just being on the podcast. It was more so like my husband knew you from back in the day. He's been telling me for the longest, man, you should really connect with Valerie. She's doing some really great things in New York. And I'd seen your website talk about, you know, women, Latinas, empowerment. And I was like, hey, I'm all about that. So you reached out to me kindly and uh, shouted out the podcast and shared it with some friends and family. And I so appreciated that. And so, hey, we just connected. And my God, I think our first conversation was like, what, two hours? Oh my gosh, yes. We were right? <laughs> We were on Zoom for a long time. I'm like, we it's were. just so funny how the divine intervention works, right? I mean, it's just, it was meant to be and it was timely and it was perfect. It was just perfect. It was. I was truly blessed by it. And you know, it's just like a, a connection. Like sometimes I feel like there's people that I've known for a long, long, long time. And I'm like, we're cool. We connect. But sometimes I can meet a total stranger and it's just like, hey, man, we're soul sisters. Yeah. <laughs> So Where have you been? Where have you been all my life? Why did it take this long? Exactly. <laughs> well, hey, thank you to Robert. <laughs> that's right. Thank Thanks you. to my husband. But there's yeah. a there's always a plan and a purpose, you know, and God yeah. always has a way of connecting people at the right time. And so we started talking about, you know, your story, the success in your career when you went to New York. Take us down that journey. Tell us a little bit about those early years, you know, when you were growing up in New York and not sure where you wanted to head and and the things that you were doing in your life and, and then obviously getting married and just, you know, a little bit about that story. Yeah, sure. So, you know, believe it or not, I got here December of 90. So it's already almost 30 years. So it's been a long time. That is a Um, long time. Yeah, a long time. I mean, I had a little stint where I moved back to Chicago for work, but it was short. But yeah, I mean, coming here, I didn't really have an idea what I was going to do. It was a vacation that wound up lasting forever, basically. And uh, my cousin was working for a financial firm and she sent me to a headhunter and I got a job really quickly. And I saw these guys trade. And I thought, man, I don't know what they're doing, but I know they make a lot of noise and a lot of money and I want to do both. So, <laughs> so 
I was like, I could do that. I don't know what it is, but I could do that. What so, a way to start your career. Really? Yeah. It was, it was so apropos for me, loud and money. I'm like, oh, that's, I'm all for it. So I went from like an order clerk in Wall Street or on Wall Street, I should say, to then working my way into a career that was really fruitful and that I enjoyed and I loved. And I wound up at the same firm for almost 18 years. It was the bulk of my career. And I learned so much, you know, I learned so much about myself and how even though I hadn't gone to college, I had a lot of street smarts and I had the tenacity. And it was just such a perfect place for me because I was able to excel, even though, you know, young woman, no college degree. I'm a Latina from the West side of Chicago. I don't come from money. I had all these things, so to say, against me. And I still was able to create this amazing career and meet my husband and create this family and this life that we absolutely enjoyed for a long time, you know? And so- Mm -hmm. I'm really proud of that trajectory, you know. Of course, it's evolved into where it is today, but that was really interesting to say the least because you're talking about a girl that came here having no idea what she was going to do and then winding up in this incredible career that lasted so long. That's amazing. I mean, you know, just hearing you talk about not knowing what you were going to do and and not having a college degree, you know, I love to hear stories of people and then just having that entrepreneur bug and saying, hey, I'm going to turn nothing into something and I'm going to work really hard. And I love that part of your story because it's so exciting and it can give other women hope to say like, hey, if you have an idea or a dream, you can make it happen. And so I know that you were enjoying life with your husband, but you were working a lot. You said you were working all the time and you were focused. And, you know, just doing everything you could, obviously, to take care of your family. And that created some issues between you and your husband. You know, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, that kind of career trajectory and that kind of success does not come without its own issues, right? And so when you're consistently working and traveling and when you do get home, you're tired and you're not focusing 100% of your time and energy where you need to, right? So when you're at work, it's 100% about work. And then when you're at home, it's supposed to be 100% about home. But when I was getting home, it was like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I just want to sleep or I just want to rest. I think that there was something lacking, you know, and it, and it was my own fault. I take responsibility for that because it was just a lot, you know, as a young mom, you know, I had my children very early. So throughout this whole Wall Street career, I had two babies. My daughter, I had her when I was 19. So I've always been a mom for as long as I can remember. Right. <laughs> so having these children and this husband at home and cooking and cleaning and doing all the things, you're not going to be 100% at every single thing you do. Something will falter somewhere along the line, you will have an issue. And and I don't want to say fail because I don't feel like I failed, but I feel like I could have done better. And so, you know, unfortunately we had our own issues and we wound up separating in 2010, right when the kids had graduated from high school and eighth grade respectively. And it was tough. It was really, really a tough time for me, you know, because when you are going through issues in your marriage, it's devastating, right? Because this is your partner, your best friend, the person that you want to safe with. And when things at home are rocky, well, then the rest of the world is rocky too, because home is supposed to be your sanctuary. 
That's so true. And so as many people do, men and women, you know, they're working so hard and, you know, for the right reasons, of course, you think that you're doing everything that you can and that you're you're trying to juggle everything and everyone. And sometimes we can't always be a superwoman, you know, like you said, do you regret working so hard and not spending that quality time that not only your husband, but your children needed at that time? So that's interesting because I often ask myself the same thing. I know that at the time I was doing what I believed was right. I was climbing that corporate ladder and I was putting in the work that I needed to put in in the beginning. And because I have such an amazing husband who is such an amazing father, I was able to really focus on that job. And he supported me 100%. What I do regret is that when I was home, I didn't give it my 100%. So it's a little bit of a juggling act. And so... I have to be okay with the decisions I made then because what I knew then is what I knew then. And so Mm -hmm. I did the best I could with what Mm -hmm. I had, you know, Mm -hmm. I tried to just give myself grace now. Good. I mean, that's so important. I think we need to do that at, at every point in our life when we're going through something difficult. You know, we definitely have to extend ourselves grace. I mean, th- sometimes I think we're our biggest critics. And so as if being separated from your husband wasn't hard enough, now trying to take care of your kids, probably doing the best that you could, you experienced something really difficult on top of that and you lost somebody that you loved and other people as well. Tell me about that part of your life. I was at work one day and I got a phone call and it was uh, November 2nd of 2010. It was a call that told me that my 13-year-old nephew had been shot and that it didn't look like he was going to make it. And in Chicago, gun violence, you know, that's a thing, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a horrifying reality for those who live there. And so we are also touched by that gun violence. My nephew passed away and so he's my only brother's only son. Mm-hmm. And it was difficult for me. It was absolutely heart-wrenching because I was very close to my nephew. You know, he would come and spend time with me in Jersey. And I absolutely adored that boy. Like, he was my only nephew. And mm-hmm. it was tough. It was a really, really tough time for us. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, my grandfather, who had been there for me my whole entire life, who had his hand in raising us, because you know how the Latino families are, right? We are all, it's like it takes a village. Um, He also passed away. And so it was a hard, hard time of loss and of feeling like everything I knew had been turned upside down in my world. So my husband and I are not together. My nephew passes away. My grandfather passes away. And even months later, my uncle passed away. And he's the uncle that had guided me and that was here for me when I moved to New Jersey. You know, I originally went to New York and into Brooklyn and that's where he lived. And then he also died. So I didn't even know what to do with all that. So all I did was just work, right? (laughs) You Mm -hmm. try to, you try to focus on something that isn't the pain. It was a hard time in my life, you know, and it's 10 years ago. And I still, sometimes when I talk about it, I could feel my anxiety, you know, I remember it so vividly. I mean, losing one person, is difficult, but losing three people that are so pivotal in your life. I mean, I can't even imagine what that felt like. You know, I know you said that you didn't have your dad growing up. And so your grandfather, your uncle, these were men that loved you 
unconditionally that you looked up to that supported you and your family. And so that's a story that I'm sure many, many people can relate to and what they've been through. And so experiencing so much loss in such a short period of time is difficult to process. And so I know that because of that pain and maybe not knowing how to mourn or how to maybe accept it led you down a really difficult path. And so tell us about that journey. Yeah. So I wound up working a lot and I wasn't really facing the pain and the trauma that I had experienced. And so you kind of just shove it down and you keep on keeping on. And my thing was, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm going to work. I'm going to travel. I'm going to do what I normally do. But what I didn't realize was that instead of tacking it head on, what I had done was I had suppressed it to the point where then I would just drink. And so that became my go-to was alcohol because I was a social drinker and it was nothing that was really frowned upon in our family, right? Because drinking is normal. Drinking mm -hmm. is acceptable in society. And so I really began to mask my pain with alcohol. And I don't think that I realized it at the time. And it was just one of those things where the social drinking just became something a little more and a little more and a little more. And unless you were really, really close to me and in my house, you really wouldn't have known because I didn't show that. I, I never appeared like I was in pain. I put on a brave face. I smiled all the time. I was always well-dressed. I always looked my part, right? So right. I went to work. I was functioning, but I had gone down a really, really scary path and the drinking became more and more and more. And it really affected my day-to-day. -day. It affected how I was feeling emotionally, physically, mentally, and it just added more salt to the wound. And the progression was pretty ridiculous. I mean, I could feel myself losing control once I was already in it, but I don't think I knew like how to stop. I, I don't even know where the end would be. Like I couldn't see the forest for the trees when I was in it. Did anyone around you notice? Did anyone around you ask you? Because I think one of the things that happens when you experience loss is people don't ask you, hey, how are you doing? How are you holding up? You know, did anyone yeah. notice that you were heading down that path or that you were broken? Yeah, I think that for me, because I've always been that strong, independent one, right? I was the kid that nobody had to worry about. I went to school. I had good grades. I made it out on my own. I was working and being successful, career driven and all the good stuff, right? So I never really got those questions like, Hey, how you doing? You know, right. um, I know that the people very close to me, like my daughter and my son and my husband, I know they knew. I know that they knew because my daughter even said to me that she was planning an intervention. You know, <laughs> like, mm. she knew something was wrong. But right. I think that because I kept saying I'm fine and I looked okay, no one really knew. I did all this in silence. I suffered in silence for a long, long time. And a lot of the drinking I did, I did in my own house, you know. And then if I was out with friends, they were also drinking. So nobody really notices, right? And if you're going to work and you're doing your norm, nobody really thinks to say, hey, maybe something's going on over there, you know? Maybe we should check in on her, you know? And I see these things all the time on social media that say, check on your strong friends, you know? Right. They need it too. Hmm. And I think we forget about that, that the strong people have a breaking point as well. Absolutely. Definitely. I can relate to that. I'm one of those strong people. But yeah, you do need someone 
to just check in on you once in a while and make sure like, hey, are you okay? Hey, how are you holding up? How's everything? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I know for you, as you said, you did that, you know, from a very early age, you relied on you because that's kind of what was expected of you. And so I know this was such a difficult time for you. And so what led you to finally say, hey, I can't keep doing this. My husband and I are separated. My kids are probably suffering and they see what's going on, even though no one's really openly maybe talking about it. But what was your breaking point to finally say, I've hit rock bottom and I need to get help? Yeah, it was one of those eye-opening moments. I think that my relationship with my daughter had suffered a lot and she had just gone off to college. So she was a freshman in college and she was dorming and we would have these really bad arguments and we would talk to each other in such a horrible way. And it was not the norm for me, you know, my kids are my world. So knowing that I was hurting them was really, really tough. And then my son too, you know, kind of acting out and just doing things that were not normal for him either. And I realized that this was all a result of what was happening, you know, so their home is broken. Their cousin died. Their great-grandfather died. Mm. Their mom is not available emotionally or physically. And so it was just a lot. And then one day I'd gone out and I was, I remember feeling drunk. I remember feeling really, really off. And this woman looked at me and she offered me like a candy bar or something, a Snickers, if I'm not mistaken. And I don't know why that moment was so pivotal for me, but the fact that I was in the street and a stranger, a stranger noticed that I was hurting was kind of like this aha moment where I thought, you know what? You got to get yourself together, girl. Like what is wrong with you? And I went home that day and I got in my bed and I cried and I went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up and I just screamed. I screamed to God and I was like, please help me. I surrendered. I absolutely surrendered. And I was like, help me. I promise I'll get it right. Just help me. And I got on my knees and I prayed and I screamed. And and then I called my cousin, Jenny. And I said to her, hey, I need help. I need help right now because if I don't get help, I fear that I'm going to die. And she was like, whoa, I've been waiting for this call. I've been waiting for this call. And I thought, thank God, you know, like she knew, but she also knew that I was a big hard-headed one and that if she approached me, that I would have probably turned her away or I would have denied any of the accusations, right? Like, oh, we see that you're having a problem or we see that Mm -hmm. you're in pain or I'd have been like, nope, no, I'm not. I'm fine. (laughs) So she waited. Yep. She waited until I was ready. I mean, and she fearfully, and my daughter was the next call and she came home. My cousin came home and everybody sat with me and talked it through. And we decided, well, I decided that I would get help. I would go somewhere so that I could get help. And that's how it was. Jenny made some calls and that was on a Thursday, I believe, or a Friday morning. And by that Sunday, June 19th, it was a Father's Day. I entered into a program. That's amazing. Wow. That's a lot to carry. But to make that decision takes so much courage and strength to say, hey, I'm going to raise my hand and say, I need help. I thought that I can handle this. I thought that I had it all together, but I really don't. And it's okay to say that you're not okay in life, right? Yeah, and that's, that's my- we forget that. 
Yeah. It's like, hey, we're not a machine. You know, we're not built to be perfect or to do everything right. Like, hey, we're human. God created us human in our flesh. We're going to make mistakes. So I know that you said, you know, you, you did well in rehab. And then when you were getting ready, obviously, to come out, you were getting ready to go back to work and go back to your career that you'd had for so many years, but that God had kind of a different plan for you um, when you went back to work. <laughs> Make a plan and then God will tell you whether your plan is going to go through or not, right? <laughs> I have, yeah. And you know, we laughed about this and now I think about it and I laugh, right? But I had gone, I had gone back to Chicago for a family reunion. And so I was driving back to Jersey because I was due at work like the next day. Monday. And as I'm driving back home, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to get home. I got to go to sleep. I got to go to work. I haven't been there in a month because I had taken a, a leave of absence. And I'm driving in the car and I'm thinking and I'm, and all of a sudden this like something comes over me and I feel myself thinking, oh, well, you're going to go to work tomorrow and you're going to resign. And I'm thinking, what? Who's that? Like, are, what? <laughs> Who's God, I know you did not just say that to me. <laughs> He's got jokes. What? Oh my goodness. I was like, no, you're not. You're kidding me, right? Tell me you're kidding me. And otra vez, it was like, you're going to resign. You're going to resign. And I'm having this dialogue with God in the car. And I'm like, but I don't have a job. What do you mean I have to resign? What am mm. I going to pay the bills with? Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things that just came over me. And I felt at peace with that. It, it was really weird because I was anxious in the beginning. But by the time I got home and I went to bed and I woke up and I went into the office the next day, it was so weird as I was saying it, that I was resigning. I was saying this to my boss, like, mm -hmm. I'm leaving. And he, he was like, what do you mean you're leaving? I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm, he's, where are you going? I said, nowhere. I'm going home. Mm -hmm. He goes, what do you mean you're going home? Like, what, what? He couldn't believe that I was actually resigning. Everybody that worked with me thought I was crazy. In fact, I thought I was a little crazy at one point. Right. <laughs> but I just had to be obedient. I knew that. And I knew it in my heart of hearts. I knew this. That if I went back to the old ways and the old style of living in that same type of environment where everybody goes out and you're entertaining clients and you're drinking and you're out till all hours... Uh, because I was a sales trader and that's what we did. We had a lot of clients all over the country and it was part of the job. Mm -hmm. I knew that if I stayed there, I wouldn't be able to stay number one sober, number two healthy. Mm -hmm. I needed something different. I needed a place where I could be safe. And the only place that I could be safe for right now at that moment was home. And so I resigned and I didn't really have a plan. I had no plan, you know, and you're talking about a very detail oriented person that has a list for everything mm -hmm. <laughs> and I had no plan. Right. <laughs> so I was way out of sorts. I knew it would work out eventually. That's amazing. I mean, you could have easily just said, no, I got to go back to work because this is a way for me to make money. But Ooh. knowing that wasn't the environment for you was so, so important. And that's in anything in life. You know, if we realize that 
something's not good for us or that it's going to push us back to a place that's no good for us anymore. Whether it's people, whether it's our surroundings, whatever that is, we have to be strong enough to say, yeah, you know what? I'm not willing to go back there because I've lost everything and I don't want to go through that again. And so tell me, Valerie, what was your motivation to push you through all of that pain in your life during that time? I think that my biggest motivation was my family, my kids and my husband, because the thought of not being around for them, you know, I mean, I was physically absent and emotionally distant and mentally unavailable, right? For a long while there, it was a good, you know, a good part of a year. And I couldn't imagine, God forbid, something happened to me, you know, like they would be a not alone, alone, right? Because my husband's there and there's so much family, but to be without me because I had made decisions that were poor and I didn't put them first, you know, I know that while I was in the muck, in the middle of my mess and in the disease, I wasn't thinking clearly. But once I was on the other side of that, I knew that I had to do better because when you know better, you do better. right? Right. And I just, I wanted to be better for them and for myself. I wanted to heal. I needed to feel normal, whatever normal was. Mm -hmm. And I knew that unless I got whole, I would not be able to pour into them. And so I wanted to repair my marriage. I wanted my home to be healthy again. And that was really the, the catalyst that took me from point A to point B and God, right? Like it it was all supposed to be that way, right? I mean, I learned some hard lessons, but I never gave up and they were the reason. You know, when you were telling me the story, every time you referenced your kids, because we were on a Zoom call, I could see your eyes and I could see your face. And so I know that your kids have, you know, forgiven you. And I know that you have a great relationship with them now. And they're much older, obviously. And and I'm sure they're even stronger for seeing their mom go through such an adversity and push through. Mm-hmm. Have taught them, I'm sure, many, many lessons. But I can tell that you're still maybe being hard on yourself and that you're kind of still working through that pain when it comes to your kids. Why has that been so hard for you? Yeah, I think that is the one part of my story that I still haven't gotten to the other side of, right? And maybe, maybe just maybe, I'm not meant to get to the other side of that, right? Maybe I'm meant to remind myself all the time that they are everything to me and that they are the reason that I got out of that deep, dark place I was in. And, you know, it hurts me. It hurts me to think that I hurt them, even Mm -hmm. if it wasn't intentionally. You know, when we have children, we bring them into this world and it's our responsibility and duty to take care of them and to be their protector. And me as their protector, actually hurting them instead of protecting them has really done some damage, you know, to my psyche, you know, and I know that eventually I'll be less hard on myself. Eventually I'll be able to let go of that, but it's going to be hard because I'm just really, really hard on myself. Even though they've told me, mom, we love you. We've watched you. You had a hard time and you showed us what it's like to fall down, get up and keep on going. And you've done it multiple times, you know, in different aspects of your life, starting over and and doing better. And so I know that I'm an example of what tenacity and courage and determination is for them. 
but it's still really hard to grapple with. And so I give myself grace again. I have to give myself grace, right? Mm -hmm. And and I know that God's forgiven me and they've forgiven me. And so now I just have to work on myself forgiving me. And, you know, it's natural. I think it's just a natural feeling as a parent, right? You never want to disappoint them. That's right. Wow. Well, I think it's good for you to look at it in that way to kind of remind you as you were speaking about that, you know, I kind of got emotional because I can understand that love and that desire and wanting to be that great example for your child so that they can learn and do better and be better because you're not always going to be around for them. And so when I think of my son, I say, I want him to look back and say, hey, my mom was here, you know, and she was going through this difficult thing. What would she do? She's not going to give up. She's going to get up and she's going to fight. And that's the type of legacy that we want to leave for our kids when we're not around. If for them, that's our grandkids like, man, your grandma, oof, she was a firecracker, man. She was <laughs> relentless. She would yes. not give up, you know? Yes. And I love that. And that's a great reminder. And so looking back, is there anything that you think that you would have done differently? Yeah, I would have been like, hey, I'm not okay. <laughs> I, would, I would have asked for help sooner. I mean, right. You don't have to be so strong all the dang time, you know? Exactly. Like, I, I couldn't manage this horrible time alone. You know, I, I know that processing pain and grief is important and life is not meant to be done alone. So yes. why do I, why did I think that this part of life, this part where for better or worse, you know, the worst mm -hmm. part, why do it by myself? There are so many people out there that want to help, right? And just because you think you're strong doesn't mean that you don't need support or encouragement. We all need that. Everybody needs that. And so just really stopping and saying, hey, I'm not okay. I can't do this by myself, nor do I want to do this by myself. Can somebody help me? That's right. And there's no shame in that, my God. It takes a lot of strength to do something like that. And so I know that you had said that you really had not shared your story and that there are probably going to be a lot of people that are going to be surprised. I know you said you only shared it one time. <laughs> um, at yeah. the Valentine house when you spoke for a brief time and a couple of your family members were there. Why did you decide now to kind of share your story? I wanted to share it because I believe my story can allow others who might be going through something similar to have hope, to find support, to know if you reach out, there are people there to encourage you. There are people there to help you. And just so that, you know, people could understand that it takes courage, but it's such a beautiful thing to be vulnerable and courageous. I know that vulnerability is hard for a lot of us, yes. but invulnerability is where we find our truest strength. Because when you can crack yourself wide open and say, hey, this is me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, take it or leave it. There's strength in that, you know, Absolutely. and there's power in that. And so mm -hmm. the more I tell the story, the less power it has over me, right? That's like, right? I have power over this story and there's nothing for me to be ashamed of. That's but right. also I had to be ready to tell it, right? I had to be on the other side of that pain and processing all of it and the grief and all the traumas that I had been suppressing so that I could tell it and not fall apart anymore, you know, That's or not right. be overcome by pain and emotion. Not that those are bad things, but you can't convey a message of healing when you're still in the middle of it, you know, That's right. you have to be on the other side of it. And I just think that 
I want other people to be courageous to share your story, share your testimony, because somebody out there needs to hear it. And if one person is touched by it and one person can make a change because of you, you've not done it in vain. And that's right. it's important. You know, it's important. That's right. If somebody is listening today, Valerie, and they are in the midst of this exact struggle, maybe they've lost somebody and they're turning to alcohol or turning to other drugs or turning to anything that they know is not good or, or fruitful for them, experience grief, don't know how to deal with that. What would you say to them to encourage them um, so that they can kind of push through? So number one is hold on to your faith because God is a way maker, right? Like mm. he will do it. <laughs> so pray and also talk to people, right? Grief is a journey and the only way through it is through it. Like That's there is right. no way around it. There are no shortcuts. You have to feel your pain so that you can heal from your pain. And so if you reach out to people and you spend time with people that care and love you and genuinely want to help you, that's half your battle because isolation is the enemy's ploy, right? He wants that's us right. alone. Mm -hmm. He wants us in our thoughts and he wants us to feel like we're hopeless. And so the minute you speak your truth, that's it. You speak your truth and, and you reach out to someone and you say, hey, I need help, whether it's a person that you know or a professional, there's nothing wrong with that. There is no shame in asking for help. That's right. That's so true. Amen. You know, when you and I were talking, my family's been impacted by alcohol and we had a really great conversation. And we know that in our culture, it's so prevalent for us, you know, to be drinking and partying at an early age. And there's a stigma around us being strong. And especially uh, when we're going through difficult things, we don't talk about it or, you know, we don't need to seek counseling. Just suck it up. Deal with it. It's, it's not a big deal. You'll get over it. Do you feel that that might have hindered, you know, your ability to seek help or maybe to speak with your family because of that cultural mindset that we've grown up with all of these years? Yeah, I think that we're so, it's so socially acceptable to be drinking Absolutely. that most people don't even see that it's an issue, right? I think every family has that, oh, well, you know, you know, this person has a little too many cocktails at the party. You're just used to it. Or that person over there is acting like a fool, but you know how he is, or you know how she is, or right. so you don't even address it. It's kind mm -hmm. of going on, but it's not talked about, right? So if you don't address that there are issues to begin with, then nobody really thinks that there are issues. <laughs> so, right. Right? so when I was in my mess, for me, it was because I was always labeled as strong and independent. And so I didn't need quote unquote help because I'm strong and independent. I'll figure it out. I'll get better. I'll stop all this, all that. And right. that's, you know, once I was already in it, right? Because in the beginning, I didn't even realize what I was doing until it finally hit me where I was like, holy moly, I feel like crap, like all the time. And so I think that when we're not allowed as children to talk about feelings, how we feel and express what's going on internally, that's where we bump up against problems later on. Because as a parent now, I am a huge proponent about talking about how we feel. 
How do you mm-hmm. feel? How did that make you feel? Where are you right now? Let's check in with you. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how I'm feeling. Talk about these things. Because again, if we're not addressing the underlying issues, alcohol is just a symptom of the disease, right? That's it's right. just, you know, drugs, gambling, sex, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Those are all just symptoms of the underlying disease. And so we have to tackle the actual trauma the pain, the stuff that we're walking around with, the unsaid things that have gone on, you know, so that we can move on with our life and a healthy life at that. So um, I want to break those cycles. I want to break those cycles with my children and I want them to break those cycles with their children, right? So that we can completely be rid of these generational curses that hold us back. Valerie, what you were sharing is so critical. And I love how you said it's about tackling the problem and breaking the cycles so that we can break those generational curses. And I feel like that is so, so important to share with anybody out there that's experienced something like this and to say that it's okay to get help if we need it. And so I did want to go back a little bit because obviously we know that you went to rehab and that is such an important and critical part of anyone's recovery. And so I wanted you to share just a little bit about that and kind of what your experience was and and the hard work that you had to put in, in order to rebuild your life. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's interesting because when I talk about rehab, I feel like I go back to that place, right? Like I even remember the day I got there. I remember it was June 19th, a Sunday. It was Father's Day. And I found it so weird because I'm like, this is Father's Day. Like I never really celebrated that day until, you know, I got married and had my own husband and he was a father. But I found it so strange that I'd be walking into that place on that day. And I remember walking in thinking, how did I get here? You know, like people, people see you like you have your life together, you're successful, you're working, you're strong, you're independent. And here I was walking into this very clinical place and I was just beating myself up. And at the time I was so broken, right? But thank God that after you have that initial week of detox, you go through a series of therapy classes and you get really in depth and intentional about whatever it is that is the root cause of your pain. And I worked really hard on that. You know, I did intense therapy, an outpatient therapy too. So for six months, I was going back there almost four days a week from six to nine o'clock. So for three hours a day, four days a week, I was still in therapy. And I realized a lot about myself that I hadn't healed, you know, a lot of traumas and, and even the traumas that had happened throughout 2010 were just adding to stuff that was already there. So, you know, not without a lot of work, but glad to say that, you know, here we are, June 19, 2020, made nine years sober. So I'm grateful to God because only by his grace is why I'm here. That's amazing. That's so encouraging to hear that after everything that you went through, that God just made a way and kind of pulled you out of that dark and and painful place that you were in. And so, you know, naturally, I want to ask you, what does life look like today as far as your marriage and your kids and what you guys have been through together? Yeah, we've been through a lot together as a family unit. You know, it all started 
with us being separated, right, in that June of 2010. And I'm, I'm proud to say and I'm grateful to say that we reconciled September of 2011 when I'd come out of rehab and I'd worked on myself, you know, for those couple of months. And we both came to an understanding and an agreement that the past was the past and we were going to work on the future together. And it was all going to be from that point forward. And he and I, you know, have had some ups and downs, but what a blessing to have my best friend, my partner, my husband with me at my side, supporting me through all of that. And now on whatever venture I'm on, you know, and so grateful that that here we are, the kids are thriving, they both work in their respective fields, and they're successful, and they're happy, and they're healthy. And as a parent, what more could I want? And, uh, you know, that rock bottom allowed me the opportunity to start over and starting over isn't bad, you know, because it gives you the ability to start from scratch to create, a, you know, a new slate, a clean slate. And it gives us a chance to do better, right? Right the wrong. It allows us the space we need to forgive ourselves. And, and I'm just grateful to God, because when I gave my life to him, you know, when I reached out for help that first time and I and I begged him, you know, to make it stop and to help me and, and to get me out of where I was, he had been doing the work all along, right? God was the reason I was I was still alive and I was you know, and I was asking for help. So it took a lot of heartache and pain, but I'm at this point now in a new home and creating this this new business and my family's intact and I just have so much to be grateful for, you know? It's it's healthy. We we have a healthy relationship and now I have the tools and the support I need to get through anything that comes my way. I do it in a healthy manner and I do it sober. Amen. Amen. This has been a great conversation today, Valerie. I'm, I'm so happy that we had a chance to connect, and I'm so glad that you had the strength to tell your story, and I know that it's really going to resonate. But before we end today, I wanted you to share a little bit about how you're giving back and how people can connect with you for support or maybe to come alongside some of the things that you're doing. Yes, thank you. I've also enjoyed this conversation. You make it very easy to talk about things that go on. It's safe and it feels right. So thank you. Um, so for the last seven years, I've been part of an organization called the Valentine House, and we provide transitional housing for people who have successfully completed uh, rehabilitation for substance disorders. And so I've been the vice president of the organization and I help, you know, put on benefits and raise money and really spread awareness that addiction and alcoholism, it doesn't have a face or a name mm -hmm. or a color, you know, or a socioeconomic right. background. There are lots and lots of people that are suffering from a substance disorder. And so I want to help change that stigma, right? And, and break that cycle. So People can check out Valentine House by going to valentinehouse.org and they can donate if they feel moved to. They can just check it out, you know, buy tickets to the raffle or anything of the sort. And then personally, because I went through such a financial crisis and wound up learning a lot about myself and a lot about things that I shouldn't have done, <laughs> you know, I wound up uh, where I am now with divine asset management. So that became really the catalyst for the work that my partner and I are doing. And we created divine asset management because we felt like Wall Street wasn't talking to women and women have all this shame and this blame around money. And we wanted to 
give everyone a seat at the table. So we do financial education, financial planning. We have a community. We do retirement planning, wealth management, insurance, full service firm. We do everything you can imagine. And you can actually like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash divine asset MGT or my website, which is www.divineassetmgt.com. And, um, you know, check it out. We do a lot of online events and everything is pretty much free. We love to give away the knowledge that we have because we want everybody to partake in wealth. It's not just for the wealthy. That's amazing. I'm so glad, Valerie, that you've taken part in the Valentine House, being someone that went through something so difficult and giving back. And then although God told you to leave your job, but that he also helped you to create something even better for those seeking financial guidance and assistance. I want to thank you, Valerie, for being on the Courageous Podcast today. This was an amazing conversation, and I just want to pray blessings over you, your husband, your marriage, your amazing children. I pray that you continue to help others and give back because I know that God is going to continue to use you in a powerful and amazing way. And for those that are listening, you know, if you have been through something similar or know somebody that's been through something similar, please share Valerie's story. I thank you, Valerie, and I look forward to having you back on the Courageous Podcast to maybe share part two of some of the amazing things that you're doing. Thank you so much, Madeline. This has been great. And I appreciate you and all the work you are doing to bring forth these amazing and courageous stories. Thank you. Hey, Courageous Community. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you were encouraged today. If you have a courageous story or want to connect with today's guest, email us at CourageousPodcast2020 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at CourageousPodcast. Until next time, continue to be strong and courageous.